Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth. Consistently, I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. Think like an investor. Now, you may not as a consultant be investing your money, although that may be the case if you're bootstrapping, which you likely are, and paying your expenses, and maybe don't have enough revenue to offset your expenses, then you are investing your money. But more commonly, you're investing your time. You're investing your energy. Today on episode 567 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm here with the founder of Boutique Growth, Ahmed Manowar. I'm going to ask Ahmed how you can streamline your business building process to maximize the return on your investment and much more. Stay with us to hear all the details. You can find out more about Ahmed along with all of our previous episodes at smashingtheplateau.com. Are you building your own business after a long career as an employed professional? Listen to our show, Going Solo, also found on our website, smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Ahmed Manoir. Ahmed is the founder of the 90-Day Pipeline. He helps consultants win five- and six-figure deals. No begging for referrals, no networking. Ahmed, welcome to the show. David, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Can't wait. Me too. How did you learn how to develop a consistent pipeline for consultants? Seems like a, an interesting niche. Necessity is the mother of invention. Isn't it always? <laughs> <laughs> Not because I wanted to, but because I had to, to keep the shirt on my back. So here's a story. I started out in Ernst & Young uh, early in my career coming out of business school, got my accounting designation, um, didn't know a whole lot of business, but had a, a desire to learn about business. And I had a few friends that started up a small consulting firm. They had one big whale client. Sound familiar? That's how most consulting firms start, right? One big right. client that pays all their bills. And um, and they were subject matter experts. They were, this is in the education space. They were educationalists. And they didn't know the first thing about business. And uh, they looked at me and they said, well, you, you come from this big firm, Ernst & Young, and you've got these, you know, these fancy suits and you know, good resume. And you went to business school. You must know a thing or two about building a business, right? And I said, sure, why not? Maybe more than you. <laughs> right? So I left Ernst & Young, joined the small consulting firm. Didn't have a lick of business experience at the time. You know, I was in accounting at ENY. So I was a reasonably good accountant, but not very good at business. And, and here I was in the middle of this firm with one big whale client and everybody was looking at me to bring in new business. And um, those meetings got pretty awkward in the first <laughs> couple of months when I was twiddling my thumb and trying to figure out how to get clients and how to win business and how to do marketing and how to build a pipeline and how to build relationships and how to follow up on conversations and how to send proposals and how to you know uh, engage and spark a response from the marketplace. And it was a grind. And what I realized was there weren't a lot of really good resources out there for consultants and professional service firms. There was a lot of stuff out there for professional salespeople. But one of the things that I've come to learn the hard way, and we teach our clients this, is that if you as a consultant, a subject matter expert, sell like a professional commission salesperson, uh, you're going to sell your way out of an engagement. And so I had to make a lot of stuff up and figure it out on my own through the good old process of trial and error in order to keep my job at that firm and to help us grow. Uh, long and short of it is that we did grow and I did figure it out for that firm. And we went to seven figures and beyond and signed some pretty big clients in our space really quickly. And through that experience, I kind of decoded the process and turned it into a plug and play repeatable formula for any consulting professional services firm. And that's the story. Ahmed, what do you mean you're going to sell your way out of an engagement? So professional salespeople will do lots of things 
to get a deal, to win a deal, because they're coming from a place of need. If they don't win the deal, they don't get their commission. And so that means they'll negotiate prices. That means they will bend to the client's will. If you if you go into any organization where you have a robust sales function and a robust delivery consulting function, ask the consultants what sales does to win the deal, and they will say they will do anything. They will make all kinds of promises. They will negotiate terms. They will completely change the nature of the agreement to win the deal. And then delivery or consulting is stuck with what's left over and has to deliver on this thing, right? And that can work fine. I mean, notwithstanding those concerns when you have a sales function and a delivery function. But when you, and this is, I assume, the case with most of your listeners, when you are the seller and the deliverer, (laughs) you're, you're selling the work and you're doing the work, if you make concessions in the sales process or you do anything that will erode your status as the expert in the room, you lose the respect of the client, even if you win the deal. And that never works out in a positive, fruitful exchange. Yeah, one of the ways I have seen that not work out is when consultants underprice themselves. And so they end up working way too hard to deliver what they've promised and essentially not making a profit. Yeah, or they make concessions on the deal. They say to the client, well, you have to do this to get great results. And the client says, well, we can't afford that. And then they say, okay, fine. (laughs) And they proceed with an engagement that they know is not going to be effective. It's not going to work. And they think maybe they can save it, but they rarely do. And it results in a a bad taste in everyone's mouth at the end of the day. So what were some of the techniques that you tried and didn't work? I would say strategically, the biggest mistake that we made back in those early days that I've, I learned the lesson the hard way is we would sell to anybody with a pulse and a wallet. I mean, if you, if you would take a meeting, we were there. <laughs> and that's, again, one of those mistakes where we were eroding, we weren't leaning into our expert position. If somebody said, hey, can we talk? We would say, what time? You know, like we need an hour to drive over. Or, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't uncommon for us to fly in for meetings. Like get on a plane on our own dime, book a hotel on our own dime and fly in for a meeting just because somebody at a company that we wanted to work with said they would take a meeting and made no indication that they want to work with us by any means, but they're willing to take a meeting. And we're so desperate for the business. What we didn't realize at the time is how desperate it made us look that we would just go drop everything on a dime and, and go and drive in for the meeting, fly in for the meeting. And what ended up happening is because we were really good at sales or we got good at sales, we would win some of those deals. Right. And so that made it even more challenging because then we'd win these deals that were all radically different with different types of clients doing different types of work, forcing that upon our delivery team to say, to fulfill on this. They would look at us and go, this is like completely different from anything we've ever done before, but they'd have to fulfill on it because that was their job. And what ended up happening is we, we became like this kind of Frankensteinian type firm, right? Like we just did all kinds of different things for all kinds of different clients. There was no real semblance to it. There was no method to the madness. And we burnt out really, really quickly. So I'd say mistake number one is not really being clear on our positioning in the marketplace, who we can do the best work for at the highest price and create the most value with. Um, And we would just sell to, like I said, anybody with a pulse and a wallet. And that worked out well in the short term in terms of revenue, but it made the business very unsustainable. Yeah, I can only imagine. So how long did it take you until you had a repeatable method down? A couple of years. A couple of years. The challenge is with positioning. Positioning is a necessarily wasteful exercise. It, it means that you've got to say no to lots of different people. 
in order to say yes to the few that you can really serve. And that's tough. You know, I wasn't one of the owners of that firm. And so it was easy for me to say, well, we should do this. And the ownership had a tough time getting their head around it. And now as a business owner, and I see this among my clients, those are tough decisions. It's hard to say no to a big slice of the market, most of the market, in order to say yes to a smaller slice of the market. However, that's ultimately the most sustainable position. The sooner you get there, the better. It took us a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see that all the time. Saying, saying no to anything as an entrepreneur is hard. It's way harder than saying yes, whether it's saying no to a certain segment of the market or whether it's saying no to activities that you are really, really think are great ideas, but you don't know where they're going to go. Yeah, there are all kinds, of, all kinds of ways people should be saying no and they don't. So what should consultants do instead? Well, I think you need to think like an investor. Okay, ultimately, this is, this is my best advice. Think like an investor. Now, you may not, as a consultant, be investing your money, although that may be the case if you're bootstrapping, which you likely are, and paying your expenses and maybe don't have enough revenue to offset your expenses, then you are investing your money. But more commonly, you're investing your time. You're investing your energy. You're building this business versus going out and getting a job versus partnering with somebody else. Or you're pursuing a particular market versus market B or market C or market D. Or you're offering a particular service offering versus market service B, service C versus service D. So you have all these options. And you know you ought to be thinking to yourself from the vantage point of an investor. An investor is asking themselves not what's most interesting and not what's that you know what's going to make me feel good about myself and not this that, and the other the investors asking themselves where's the yield where's the highest yield where am i going to make the most bang for my buck where am i going to get the highest return on my investment and you as a consultant ought to be thinking about where am i going to earn the highest return on my expertise i have certain expertise i have a certain capability i have certain skills in the marketplace but those skills can be applied in a variety of different contexts, in different ways, different markets, in different segments, and, and in different shapes and forms, in different packages. And those are not all equal. There are some applications that you're going to earn a higher return, and there are some when you earn uh, lower returns. So I'll give you a simple example. Let's say you're targeting businesses that do a million dollars in revenue. And let's say you're offering sales consulting services as a simple example, and you can help those businesses improve their close rate and add another 10% to their bottom line. Well, 10% to the bottom line means something very different to a million-dollar organization than it does to a $10 million organization. And it might be a very similar process and a similar amount of input and work and energy on your part, but you're in a higher return because it's worth more to a, a, a client in market B versus market A. So a simple example, but one that you want to be thinking about across not only target market, but the type of service and the way that you deliver your service, where's the highest yield? Where do I get the highest return or return on my expertise? Now, what happens if your target market and your subject matter expertise really relates more to smaller companies? That's perfectly fine as long as you have an efficient way of delivering those services. So we're a great example of that. I used to do a lot more bespoke expensive consulting work for larger companies. But now our bread and butter is we work with the small small firms. Most of our clients are under $5 million in revenue. And 90% of them in terms of like in clients, uh, client roster is under a million dollars. So we work with smaller firms typically. That, that's our bread and butter. 
but we have a way of working with those firms in a way that is very efficient and maximizes the return on our expertise. So the packaging has implications as a result. Right. And how important is pricing in that equation? I mean, it's everything, right? So pricing is a function of a couple of things. Pricing is a function of the market's belief in your offer, what we call the results mechanism. And pricing is a function of how you package the offer. We're very firm believers that clients pay for results, not for inputs. So the big mistake that consultants typically make is uh, they sell and they price based on inputs. So we're going to come in for these many days and we're going to put in these many hours and we're going to have these meetings. We're going to send you these deliverables. And the client says, well, what do I pay for that? And, and either it's X per hour, which is input driven, or it's, well, to do all these things, to execute all these inputs, it's, it's Y. And both of those are forms of input driven pricing that are uh, completely ineffective because clients don't care about the input. They don't care about what you do. They don't care about the meetings. They don't care about the deliverables. They don't care about the report or the hours. They care about one thing and one thing only. That's the result and the outcome. And very few consultants, and this is where our clients have a tremendous competitive advantage, are able to articulate, one, an outcome that the client wants, and two, a way of getting the client the outcome that they want, and then three, a way of pricing for the value that's created in getting them that outcome. And the ones that do, they get paid very handsomely. Now, is there anything that is particularly unique to solopreneur consultants versus groups of consultants in a firm, as far as the methodology and process are concerned? Just that it's easier. <laughs> Which is easier. Because as a solopreneur, you you make all the decisions in terms of the direction and the positioning and who we want to be and, and how we want to show up. When we work with firms, it's a little bit more complicated because you have to have buy-in across the partnership. So one person cannot decide on a dime to say, we're going to target this market and offer this service. And that's how it's going to be. You have to get the buy-in of the partners. The positioning of the partners as individual experts has to be cohesive. There has to be some kind of thread that binds them together. They can't be just a hodgepodge of, you know, five or six different experts with no real cohesion to their positioning as a group. So it's more complicated as a firm. As a solo, you have a tremendous advantage. And this is where, you know, I firmly believe the smaller firms have an, an agility advantage that the larger firms just don't have. And that applies to both, you know, a solo consultant as opposed to a boutique. It also applies to a boutique as compared to a large, you know, E&Y, Deloitte, Accenture, or kind of national mid-tier firm. There's an agility there that you can take advantage of. Um, as a solo, it's really clear. You decide who you want to serve and how you want to serve them. You don't have any partners to report to, so you can be far more agile in doing that than anybody else. Yeah. Is, is there anything that is particularly unique that you see with consultants that are starting their own business following a long corporate career? That, that's a fairly common path. Somebody works 20, 25 years, yeah. become a subject matter expert, and then they go out on their own and become a consultant. And I see so many of those people just struggle to pay their bills. Yeah, absolutely. And we have our, our fair share of clients who come in in that situation. Here's my best advice to those folks is find the offer that's most closely related to your track record. So for example, if you're someone that's coming out of financial services, okay, and you have a great story in terms of your corporate career in financial services, well, probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense to go into SaaS or healthcare or whatever other market. And in the long term, maybe you can, and that's perfectly fine. But in the short term, you know, you're looking at how do I sell what I've got on the truck? And what you got on the truck is a robust career 
and experience and capability in financial services. Well, that's where I would start. You know, I'd be looking at, you know, and this is also true if you have one or two or three really good case studies and you're thinking about, well, how do I leverage these case studies? Well, ask yourself, who are the clients that most closely resemble these case studies that I can pursue? So if you're coming out of corporate and you work for a bank, let's say, well, who are the clients that most closely resemble the bank I just spent 20 years at? And how do I sell to them? And then from there, once you have cash flow and revenue and clients and some traction, I mean, you could make some more bold decisions in terms of positioning and market focus, but put the money in the bank first. Yeah. How long do you see that it typically takes those folks to reach some level of what they might consider sustainability in their business? If they're very marketing and sales driven, which is not the case very often. Right. (laughs) Usually it's not the case. Yeah. If they are very marketing and sales driven, I mean, you can put a very robust practice together within six to 12 months. If you're not, it takes longer. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's a very common mistake. Yeah. What kind of advice do you have for someone who is in that same scenario, who hasn't planned to go out as a consultant until they get fired? And then all of a sudden, they plan very quickly to go out as a consultant because they don't want to go back into corporate. Yeah, find the fastest path to cash is my best advice. Find the fastest path to cash. And that often means making some concessions. I, we had a conversation about this with our with our client group internally just, just last week. A lot of people come into our program and they work on new positioning and they come up with this kind of idealistic view of their business. We only want to work with these clients. We only want to do these things. We only want to be engaged in this way. This This is the very specific way that we want to work. And anything beneath that, we're just not going to consider. Well, that's fine if you have the cash flow to support that kind of a position and it's worth aspiring to absolutely that is where you want to be but in the example that you gave where you know you're suddenly out of a job you want to give the consulting business a go you don't have the luxury of being that picky so what you want to do in the short term is cash you know you always want to be solving for what the bottleneck is in the business and the bottleneck in the business when you're starting out is cash flow no one's paying you yet <laughs> So let's get people to pay us first, right? I like the way you think. Uh, And then once we have some cash flow, then we can solve for the more interesting problems, but we need to survive long enough to get there. Right. Yeah. What I've seen with, with some consultants is their former employer, even if they were terminated, ends up becoming their first consulting client. Which is a great place to be if you can secure that relationship. And also, you know, maybe you're listening to this and maybe you're in corporate right now and you have the you have the cushy job and you you know you you haven't lost it. Maybe that deep down that's a fear. I'd be worried about it too because you're you're not hedged at all, right? You're reliant upon one source of income. You know, go get some clients now on the side. I mean, this happens very very commonly in our program. Is we get people that are in corporate who come in and say, "Well, look, I want to build the side hustle to 100k a year, so that when I go full time on it at that stage, I'll be able to take it to half a million bucks in no time." And that's a brilliant move because you're able to build the business while you have the security of the full time income, or perhaps it's renegotiating your full time uh, employment into a you know half-time, 10, 20-hour-a-week consulting engagement, and then you have the income to rely on while you build your business, great place to be. Mm -hmm. Ahmed, how does your program work? Who are, particularly for solopreneur consultants, what are some typical examples? So what we do is we accelerate that entire journey of figuring out who you want to be when you grow up and what your positioning is going to be and what you're going to sell and how to offer it and how to package that and then how to get the attention of the marketplace and how to put offers and proposals in front of people and how to win deals. We accelerate that entire learning curve into 90 days. Hence the 90-day the pipeline is what we call it. That took me years 
to figure out. It takes lots of people years to figure out if they do it on their own and they don't have the marketing and sales credentials to back them up and, and the experience to show for. That takes years. And I know plenty of business owners that have been in business for 10, 15, 20 years still haven't figured that out and they're leaving money on the table. We accelerate that entire learning curve into 90 days. So you walk away with the whole enchilada, the positioning, the messaging, the offer, the thought leadership, the content, the outreach mechanisms, the sales process, it's all done. Sounds great. What's your dream for your business? Where do you want it to go? We're kind of there, to be honest. I don't have, we're, we're entering, a, you know, for us, 2021 is not a growth phase. It's a stabilization phase. So we enroll about 30 to 40 clients a month. We have a tremendous world-class team on the client success and fulfillment side. We have a great marketing team. We have a great sales team. We're effectively where we want to be. We're just stabilizing now in 2021 and getting better and better and better at all the different facets of the business. Me personally, I'm stepping into more of a leadership role. I went from a team of two, two years ago to a team of 15 today. And so that's pushing me pretty hard in terms of stepping into the shoes of the CEO and not being the technician of the business, but being the owner of the business and the leader of the business. And um, that's where we are. We're very fortunate to have great clients who get great results and we're honored to serve them. Well, congratulations on what you've achieved, particularly in a relatively short time. Thank you so much. Ahmed, if uh, someone wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed today, access any resources you have or get in touch with you, where's the best place to go? Yeah, a couple places. You can head over to our, our website, boutiquegrowth.com. Um, you can also check out our free training over at 90daypipeline.com. If you're serious about building the business and building your pipeline and, and attracting new clients, you can check that out at 90daypipeline.com. You can also go to Facebook and um, search for the Consulting Mastery Facebook group. That's our free group where I go live pretty much every week with a new training. Uh, that's Consulting Mastery over in the Facebook group. Either way, we're happy to happy to help and happy to serve. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau. My guest today has been the founder of Boutique Growth, Ahmed Manwar. Thank you again, Ahmed, for joining us. Thank you so much. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today, we learned how you can streamline your business building process to maximize the return on your investment and much more. Remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review if you can. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.